Welcome to the Lawyers for Musicians podcast. We have roughly 20, 21 episodes up right now. You can go Apple Music, Spotify, uh, Amazon, Google Play, any of those places where we can get uh, where you can get podcasts, and you'll be good to go. So my name is Eddie Sanders. We also have up here on the stage Don Julio, who is our engineer, sound wizard. And then we also have Josh Kaplan, uh, amazing entertainment attorney based out of Chicago. We are three guys from Chicago, so saying based out of Chicago is kind of weird, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Our last episode, we discussed this whole thing, the whole series for the next couple episodes is about team building. Uh, So we did an episode that will be posted tomorrow about what to look for in management, when you need management, and and the whole structure of of management. Um, Today's episode is going to be a little closer to the heart because me and Josh will be speaking on what you need from legal. So we're looking at the legal affairs and business affairs. So when we're Building our labels, when we're building up our record labels, even if you're just an individual person, there are roughly eight positions, eight to nine positions that need to be filled. So over the course of the podcast, we're going to break down what those different fields are. We started off with our manager because we essentially look at our manager the same way we look at our manager in sports. He is the man that oversees everything. Um, He's the one that makes sure to set the right lineup for your players. So essentially you as the artist are the CEO and then your manager is essentially your executive vice president. They are the ones overseeing all of the different departments. Today, we're gonna jump into what our legal affairs and business affairs department will look like. Cool. How you feeling there, Josh, you good? I'm good, man, I'm sorry uh, what I missed. Nothing. I was just giving the intro. Uh, you didn't miss much. Was I was it just auto-tuned? Talking. No auto-tune this time. But you're oh, lucky because I was going to have you sing Don't Stop Believing this time. Um, <laughs> and I, was, I definitely had to cue it up. Just a small town girl, you know. <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> cool. So we'll, we'll leave that at there. Um, no, so yeah, I have an intro to, to who we are, Lords for Musicians. Uh spoke about how we're doing our team building series. The last episode was on management and this episode is going to be geared around legal and business affairs. So our business manager and our lawyer and when they need to come into play. Um, On your end, which do you feel is more important that lawyer or the business manager? Uh, Lawyer. I think that's an easy one. Um, because without the lawyer, you're not getting contracts that end up paying you money. Then without that, you don't need a business manager to handle your money. Right. So it, right. I, I don't know any situation where a musician is making money, where there isn't some sort of an agreement, um, whether it's with a label or, you know, even a venue when you're playing live, or, um, I guess you could just use you don't need a lawyer to put your music up on streaming platforms um so you you probably don't need a lawyer for that but but at the same time you're not making enough money when you're starting out on streams to require a business manager um i think business manager comes when there is enough money coming in that the artist is you know this is a full-time career 
there are other people that are earning commission um, and payments have to be made to, you know, several different people. Your, your business manager comes, comes at that point. Do you agree? No, I definitely agree on that. And also with legal, I, I know people get the misconception that we're only involved when contracts come into play. There's a whole nother portion of when you're setting up your business entity, you should be speaking with somebody in the legal field to help you with the best structure. Would you right. agree with that as far as like setting up your LLC, setting up your S-Corp, talking through what's the best structure for you? Um, I've noticed that some artists tried to use just one LLC for their entire operation. Would you advise towards one LLC or multiple LLCs based upon how big the artist is? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, another good point you bring up, I, I think um, you don't have to have a lawyer on a 5%, um, you know, you're, you're, you don't need a forever lawyer right when you start out. You need someone that can just help you pick out the structure that you need. And, you know, and then at that point, when you start getting a bunch of contracts in that deal with music rights, that's when you need music lawyers. Um, but a corporate lawyer, uh, you know, it, setting up an LLC, something like that, you can do it yourself or you can just get the advice of a, of a corporate attorney, which are easier to find than, than music attorneys. Um, and as far as what structure you need, I think when you first start out um, and you've just got like one source of revenue coming in, um, you, you can get away with one LLC. Um, when you start touring, um, like legit touring and there's a crew coming with you or there's, you know, bandmates that you have to pay out, and, um, tour managers and all that, that's when you would set up a second entity, um, typically an LLC, um, to handle that. So, you know, in a, in a big artist structure, um, you, you're going to have one LLC that handles all of the money coming in from music sales, licenses, streaming, all that kind of stuff. And then one for touring and you're going to pay people out of the touring one differently. Um, that that's the typical structure. You can then end up with, you know, tons of LLCs. If you start doing other work, if you start doing, um, non-music stuff or, you know, you, you end up in partnerships for clothing or anything like that. That's when you, you would set up new entities each time. And so maybe it, you want to get, get into why you, you need the, the separate entities, Eddie. Because it's like you don't want to commingle funds, essentially. You're, the revenue that comes in from touring, you should have in a separate account, pay people out from that. You don't want to take your streaming revenue and then start paying out your bandmates. That money should be set aside. Uh, revenue for streaming or publishing revenue should be in one account. Revenue from touring should be in another account. And then revenue from like whatever your merchandising is should be in a separate account. Because also, as you get deeper with it, those different departments may be you may be in business with someone else. So yeah, you, may exactly. have a, you may have a label deal where it handles your revenue from your Spotify and all that revenue that you have to spit with. And then when it comes to merchandising, a lot of people don't realize a lot of these artists sell off their name and likeness so they don't even own their merchandising rights. It's a separate company that handles that. So if you have these different companies in different departments, you want to have separate LLCs to help manage that. Yeah, and then there's the liability issue too, right? Um we're getting real granular real quick here um, on, on the legal side of things. It's kind of unlike us, but uh, y y liability that the whole point of setting up a limited liability company or a corporation is to protect the owner from personal liability. So easiest example is you're out playing a live show. Um, someone gets hurt and they sue you. So I don't know, you, you stage dive or 
a drum kit falls on someone or something awful happens. Or you, or you do the Miguel leg drop during the VMAs. <laughs> there you go. Um, and and whoever gets hurt or you know feels wronged in some way comes and sues. They're going to sue the venue where it happened. They're going to sue the you know the ticket ticketing agent, and then they're going to sue the artist. Um, and without an LLC or without a corporate structure, they can go after you personally. If they go after you personally, they can go after all of your assets, whether it has to do with your business or not, right? So basic, you know, step for any business, doesn't matter what it is, is to set up some sort of limitation of liability. That doesn't mean that if you have that and you're like, you know, shooting off bottle rockets into the crowd or, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing bottles at people's heads, you're, you're still going to be personally liable for those kind of things. But for the freak accident or the, the frivolous lawsuit or something like that, you're going to be protected by the, the corporate structure. Gotcha. So again, if you have a million dollars in your streaming LLC, you have two million in your merchandising LLC, and you only have a thousand in your touring LLC, and something happens during the show, you're stating that the LLC that most likely will be liable is only the touring LLC, not the other three businesses that you have. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you have to prove liability, first of all, that it was something that the artist actually did. If you can prove that and their damages, they could only recover from that entity. They wouldn't be able to go after your personal one. They wouldn't be able to you know, go after your, your house if you own a house. They wouldn't be able to go after streaming revenue or anything like that. That's that's the the, the point of, of setting up the entity. Awesome. So I think our, our people in the audience need to understand that and understand the importance of having that LLC and understanding the liability portion and protecting your personal assets. As lawyers for musicians, we're here to help you create what is your generational wealth. Can't have generational wealth if somebody's always coming after you for and trying to sue you. So making sure you have your entity set up properly is that first step. And that's something that we do as lawyers. Um, so again, remembering that we're not just here to look over contracts, sign contracts, or the case may be. We want to help you set up the the appropriate entity so that as you grow as a business, you don't run into any roadblocks down the line. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a big thing for us personally is, I, I mean, and I think Eddie, you the same way I was trained as a corporate attorney first, right? So I, I don't look at musicians as anything other than a startup business and a startup corporation. And I think you were talking about that with the team. It's the same thing, right? So for corporate structure, for a musician looks a lot like corporate structure for a new restaurant or for, you know, a manufacturing company. Like you set up an entity, you get a tax ID number, you set up QuickBooks, you, you know, you, you treat it like a real business. So attorneys that are strictly music attorneys that don't necessarily know the corporate structure might not be the best fit. Um, you, you, you need someone that's going to understand that business structure and, you know, sometimes a manager can can help you with that and knows a little bit. Sometimes, you know, it's just a family friend who's a lawyer who's, you know, they might be a real estate attorney, but they know how to set up this corporate stuff. It, it's really important that you get everything set up the right way from the beginning, right? It's, it's much more difficult than as things progress. You know, let's say you have a hit song and things go really well and you don't have this stuff set up, right? You're just you're just asking for, you know, a lawsuit. Um, and then you're in a heap of trouble if you don't have things set up the right way. True indeed. Okay, we're going to get to the 30% uh, discussion, but before I forget, should you have the same lawyer as the record label you are signing with? 
<laughs> only if you are looking to get screwed over, I would say. True indeed. Uh, so that leads me to a story or a news article that I read about QC, the Migos, and their legal team. Ah, I'm familiar with those guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had in this situation, Migos are saying there's something wrong with our legal representation. Come to find out the lawyer for QC is the same lawyer for Migos. So what we had was a lot of double dipping, essentially. Um, when a, a contract, let's say a branding opportunity for Sprite came in, the lawyer would get his percentage from QC and then also get a per percentage from Migos. Also, what runs we run into a situation here is that lawyer is more uh, shows more deference to the label than the artist. So, if there are some clauses in there that are more one sided towards the label, that lawyer is not really going to present that issue to the artist. So, we ran into you ran into those situations with Migos and QC where. QC was like, this is our lawyer. Migos used them as a lawyer. And it's fine in certain situations when they're dealing with a third party. But anytime the management company or the label is in the agreement with the artist, the artist should have their own separate legal representation. 100%. I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm not sure. There, there are times where we, um, as, as corporate attorneys or as music attorneys, represent interested parties right so people that are en entering into a contract together um as attorneys you got to be real clear clear and you have to have what's called waiver conflicts um to make sure that if there is a conflict between the parties over this agreement you, first of all the lawyers aren't liable and second of all if there's that conflict the lawyers are out of it like you each get separate lawyers then so it's not it's not unheard of to have one lawyer handle everything but for something as important as this is like you're your um, label contract, it's a little crazy to have the lawyer who's True. the the lawyer for the label that's signing you also be your personal lawyer. Um, again, I mean, I, I'm dealing with a situation right now with two different clients. Um, it seems easy. It's like, well, I don't have to pay for it, even though you probably are paying for it out of an advance that you're not even you know aware of. Um, and you know, a lot of people don't just they don't know good music lawyers or corporate lawyers. So um, it happens, it happens a lot. Um, and, and that law firm that's in question in the Migos case, I, you know, I don't know if they had a waiver, if they didn't have a waiver and they didn't inform all sides properly um, that they were both sides, that's, that's a real problem for that law yeah. firm. And I feel like even if you have a waiver, there are some situations where that conflict of interest is so strong that regardless of what you put in that paper, you still are going to need independent representation. Um, yeah, I mean that right because it's like even if you are you're disclaiming liability and you're saying there's conflict and um, you know and that everybody has to be aware of it, it doesn't mean that you should still take on that representation as a lawyer. You know, when there's inherent conflict like that and there are definitely differing sides on you know on both sides of the contract, it's probably best that you just don't do it. You know, as, as a lawyer. True, indeed. And also be mindful that labels, management companies will use outside counsel and tell you, oh, I have a lawyer for you. Just go holler at this guy. Even though they're not the label's lawyer or the manager's lawyer, they still work with that company. I can speak firsthand. There are, there are labels that will reach out to me to say, hey, there's this artist that we're trying to sign. Do you mind help representing them? 
they don't call me back that often because then I really represent the artist and I don't just push the deal through. Um, but you know, push over. Yeah, there are situations where the label will find a lawyer that is just looking for the paycheck and will help push the deal through, even though the artist feels that the lawyer is uh, independently representing them. So when we talk about independent representation, understanding and building that relationship with that lawyer to make sure that they are working in your best interest and not for the interest of someone else. True. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's other things to think of with, with a lawyer, you know, I think about all the different things that we do for clients outside of just music contracts, like with music contracts, you're looking at, okay, maybe there's a label involved. So there's a label deal. Maybe there's a publisher involved. So there's a publishing deal. You might have a booking agent. Booking agents don't usually use contracts to sign artists to the booking agency. Um, but there'll be live performance agreements that a, a lawyer will look at. Um, you're going to look at producer agreements, those kind of things. Outside of that, like trademarks, um, protecting all of your other intellectual property rights, um, other business ventures, all that stuff. Yeah, a lot of times you're going to have multiple lawyers. You know, you're going to have a lawyer that just handles the music and then someone that handles just the business. If you're buying a house, you're going to go to a real estate attorney. It's not one size fits all. Um, you know, occasionally you're going to find a firm that can do most of those things. Um, but it's important to, to realize like who you're going to, you're not going to go, I always use the example, like if you need surgery on your hand, you're not going to go to a brain surgeon for that. Or I guess a better example would be like, if you have a mole that needs to be removed, you know, you're not going to go to, uh, an OBGYN. Like those doctors may know. The they might body. know how to do it. They might right. know to do, but it's not their specialty. So yeah, no. Being yes. mindful of that. Um, I don't know how to answer this, but maybe we can jump around on it. But how should people find good representation? I mean, you know, it's that tough. You know, thing it's, it's. I I I always think. I mean, for for me, if I'm hiring somebody, whether it's you know a, a lawyer to do my estate plan, or it's somebody that's gonna you know, work on my house or whatever it is, like, it's the same, you got to do your diligence, you ask other people that you trust, see who they're using, um, and then really interview the people. You know, if, if, if I'm getting a referral for a client, you know, for a new client, and they've never spoken to anybody else that actually knows me, I'm hesitant, you know, um, I, I would think it's the same way, Eddie. I mean, most of our business comes from word of mouth and, and, and referrals from other people that we've worked with. Um, and that's because we've done, you know, a good job for them. And so that client is going to refer more clients. And so I think it's the same thing. I think it's like, if you're, if you're an artist and you're trying to find a, the right lawyer, first of all, you have to figure out what it is that you're hiring the lawyer to do, and then see what kind of experience that lawyer has, you know, it's just like any other part of the team. Definitely. So the same way you ask a certain producer what their credits are like, who they worked with in the past, do the same thing for your lawyer, do the same thing for your management. Just get an understanding of what work they've done. Don't allow them to just finesse you by saying like, oh, I used to work with such and such. I used to work with such and such. Even if they mention those names, try your hardest to reach out to those people and, and cross-reference and see if they've truly done a good job for them. Right. It's like, you know, you're trying to find a producer you like, you listen to their music, trying to find a lawyer, I guess you could read their contracts, but it's more just, you know, seeing what experience they have. 
I wouldn't recommend reading their contract. Yeah, I wish I, I don't think my por- <laughs> I don't think my portfolio has like cease and desist letters in it, but you know, I got you, know, you don't have you don't have like your best label contract framed or like a plaque of it. I think I need to have that as like a, a ping tweet or something like that. I'm gonna put, out my, <laughs> I'll put my best deal up. Yeah, geez, so, you gotta cross out the names. Right. So when we, we talked uh, last episode, we talked a little bit about that thirty percent of overhead, right? Uh-huh. How does that percentage work in when we're talking about paying our management, paying our manager, paying our business manager, and paying our legal? I know yeah. people, people always think we just work hourly, but in what situations is that percentage used for artists? Do, do you think, I, I kind of feel like um, now it's almost a given that it's a percentage for lawyers, um, for music, um, where people are tend to be more surprised when I'm like, hey, we can do this on an hourly or like a hybrid situation. Um, they're like, oh, I thought it was just automatically 5%. So I, I think the norm now in the music industry is 5% to the lawyer, 5% to the business manager, 15 to 20% to management. Um, and that's for the lawyer and the business manager, it's usually off the top, which means it's gross revenue. So if you make $100 on, on something related to your career, it's, you know, $5 is going to the lawyer, $5 is going to the um, business manager. Um, that, that's typically how it's structured with managers. You know, we talked about it last time a little bit. Managers take their commission also off the top with some exceptions. They're not going to take money that, you know, is going to pay for production. They're not going to take money that goes to, um, tour expenses, that kind of stuff. So you, you carve that out. Um, that, that's been my experience. And, and, and we talked about it again, a little bit more like with, for, for us, I'm not going to take on a 5% music client unless I know that there's a way to get paid. So unless there is a business manager in place or there's something that is set where I'm getting the 5% payment every month. Otherwise it's like the lawyers are chasing down the artists and the manager to get paid. It's not a good look for anybody. Yeah. It's never a good feel when you, when the art, when the lawyer isn't getting paid out, we shouldn't have to chase after anybody, but that's neither here nor there. But, when we talk about the 30%, you mentioned earlier when we say looking at yourself as a corporation, yeah. that 30% is almost what is typical, what we call overhead from many businesses, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're get, if you're looking at a 70% margin on your revenue, meaning that for $100 that comes in, you get to keep $70 of it, um, that's great. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't work that way because there are other costs that are associated with your career that, is, you know, that aren't going that don't don't comprise the the commissions, right? So, like, take a touring example. You play a show, you make ten thousand dollars from it. You're going to pay those commissions off the top. You know, you're going to pay the thirty percent to your team. If there was a booking agent, they're going to take another ten percent. Um, and then there's the travel cost. There's the cost of the band. There's all those things. So it it, it works its way probably closer to fifty percent. But that's still pretty good margin. Like if you think of other businesses, think about a restaurant, you know, you got to buy the food, you got to buy the booze, you got to pay the staff, you got to pay rent, um, you got to pay insurance. All of those things come off the top that work into the, the percentage. So, so yeah, I mean, a, a 50, 50% profit margin is, is, is pretty good. And, and that's super important to remember because this is bef- this is technically after the label takes their cut, but that's why it's super important to understand 
what percentage is your label's taking, what percentage the parent company to that label's taking, understanding all the parties you're signed to so that you have a, understand, a good understanding of what your, your revenue is going to look like. There's oftentimes where artists will sign with, we say, just for reference, okay, I'm signed to Travis Scott's label without the understanding that Travis Scott is signed to a label that's signed to a bigger parent company. So all three of those companies are getting paid out before you start seeing your percentage. So that's why you see a lot of artists trying to start going the indie route um, so that they can protect more of their revenue. But you're still going to have some type of overhead, regardless of what your, your business structure is. Exactly. I mean, it's it, it's it, everything we're saying really sort of goes to the fact that like you as the artist, obviously you need to focus on the music and your career, but like you can't bury your head and and just assume you're gonna you know that, that you're that you're just gonna make all the money that's coming in. I I can't tell you the number of times, especially as a manager, where someone's played a show and they've gotten you know let's say it's a five thousand dollar booking fee and they net you know twenty five hundred dollars. And they're like, what, what just happened? Where's the rest of my money? Well, think about it. Think about all the different people that, you know, are working for you and are eating off of that, that money. And the same, you know, goes from, from a label perspective. If you're signed to a label and you've got a 20% deal with a label, when are you actually seeing any of that 20%? You know, there's a, you, you need to know all of these things or you need to have people that are on your team that know it and then can explain it to you. So a real good pivot, I guess, from here is the role that the business manager plays in all of this. Um, I think maybe we can, you could talk a little bit about what Left Brain is and the technology that Left Brain is coming up with. But I think it's important for artists to understand what the business manager is doing and what their their role really is. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, business management is essentially your personal, as an artist, it's sort of your personal back office, right? They're going to handle invoicing. Um, they're going to handle bookkeeping. They're going to make sure your taxes are ready. They may not file your taxes, but they're going to get them to a point where you can hand them off to an accountant. Um, people think that business managers are, you know, just like a regular accountant. They usually are CPAs and have a degree, but they're not doing the actual tax filings for you always. And if they do, it's going to be an extra charge. What they are doing is, like I said, they're keeping track of of your money, making sure that money that is owed to you is paid, making sure that the money that you owe is paid out, helping you budget. If you're going on tour, figuring out what a budget is going to look like. They are, you know, they are your financial hub as, as an artist. And you, you need one when you're at a point where you're making enough money that your manager needs the help, right? Most managers are not equipped to handle that type of stuff. You can have a bookkeeper handle things and, and, you know, not have to and pay that bookkeeper hourly. Um, but when you get to that point where it's like, all right, you know, I'm at 200 grand, $250,000 a year, just from music. It's usually a good time to, to start interviewing business managers. And in, in the past business managers are, you know, there's some really big business management firms um, and, like other labels or agencies, there's an infrastructure set up where there's a senior partner and then you get a junior partner and then you get these sort of project managers. And you got to be really careful, just like with anything else, who is on your team, who's actually going to be handling that and what's your relationship with them. Um, so yeah, Eddie, you mentioned left brain and left brain is, is business management. Um, and I, I built this out with Nick Judd, my, my partner, who is a CPA. And it was 
in response to the issues that we were having with business man- with traditional business management where you would call someone try to get you know an idea of how much money you had in your account and it would take forever to get an answer back emails would go unanswered or at one point i always tell the the story how i called to find out where an ASCAP check was and the person i spoke to a junior sort of project manager didn't know what ASCAP was and at that point i was like okay i got to get the hell out of this this company it's not good for for my client so LeftBrain built technology that's it's an app. Um, and if you're a client of LeftBrain, you get an app and it, it, it is essentially everything we just discussed. It shows your money in, it shows the money out, it shows who's on your team. It has a tool to allow you to take pictures of receipts when you're on the road or, or have business expenses. Um, it, it connects to bank accounts. It, it, it basically handles everything in addition to having an actual business manager that you you can speak to. And the whole point of it was transparency. So you're not in a situation either as an artist or a manager where you don't know where your money's at. You will always know up to the minute where your money is at. And and this seems so simple and it's like, why, you know, I can't believe this didn't exist, but it, it just didn't in the music industry. So, uh, so left brain built that out. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, it's not the amount of cash you get in. It's about the cash flow. So understanding cash flow is super important for any artist. So now what we're starting to see, like we said earlier, the artists, if we had a little chart and we draw this out up top, we have the CEO who is the artist right underneath our CEO is what we call our executive vice president, who is our manager from this going off to the side of our manager, we have on one side legal affairs, other side business affairs, business affairs being our business manager or our finance team, and then legal affairs being our lawyer. Um, we're gonna wrap around like 9.30, 9.40. What I wanted to do was see if we had any questions from the audience. This is the last time, first time we've done a live one. So I'm gonna bring people up one at a time. Um, one thing we don't wanna get into is we will help answer some of your questions, but let's not try and get super specific where we're now being your legal representation. But let's see who we got coming up first. What's going on? How are you feeling? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Good. Glad what do you got? Um, so my question was, oh, sorry about that. Um, my question was regarding um, first contracts. Um, so what, what would you say is the proper steps um, for a new artist, like let's say I have an offer for a new contract, but I don't have enough, you know, funds to hire a lawyer. Um, is it possible to get a lawyer beforehand and then I don't want to say promise the money, but you know, work out an agreement like, hey, once this contract, if you help me with this contract, once that goes through, um, you will of course get this cut and this finite amount. Um, is that is that, or is it usually lawyers want something upfront? I mean, if, if we're working with a deal, then that's where that percentage thing comes into play. Mm-hmm. If we see that the deal has money attached to it, more than likely we will work with you because we're understanding that we will get paid on the back end. Um, if the lawyer's super hard up and tells you, no, you have to pay me up front, that may be a, a relationship you need to, to step away from, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, I also think that one of the things that uh, we try to do, especially for new artists, is work our fee into the contract. So if it's a label deal and let's say they're giving you, you know, 20 grand as an advance or something, we'll say, all right, we'll work $2,000 on top of that 20 as legal fees for this or 1500, whatever it is. Um, And, you know, that also would show you if the label you're 
talking to is legit because it's a pretty normal request. Um, and so, yeah, it's either Eddie, like Eddie said, the, the lawyer sees promise in it and wants to do a 5% commission deal with you um, or, you know, works, works the fee into it. Um, the sort of open-ended promise, like, Hey, I'll get you when I've got the money. Uh, that should be a red flag for, for a lawyer. Definitely. Thanks for your question. I'm about to bring someone else. I uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Eddie, you handling this? I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> okay, good. Good morning. Good morning. What is your question? Good morning. So I jumped in when you guys were kind of talking about the paper trail and kind of having a greater transparency. So I just wanted to know, were you guys uh, referencing a specific uh, app that you can keep where you can know down to the minute where, where checks is coming in, where money is going out? Yeah, so so it's it is an app, but it, it's attached to a business management company called Left Brain. Um, you can download the app, but you can't access it unless you're actually a client of Left Brain. It's it's a tool, it's an add-on to the company. Um, so if you are in need of a business management um, company, you can you know we can lead you to Left Brain and then have that discussion if you meet sort of the, the qualifications. Most of the clients with Left Brain are making a certain amount of money. Um, to make it worthwhile to left brain. Um, but when you're a client of, of left brain, yeah, you get, you get access to that app. So is left brain, like a, a really established, like big, uh, management company. It's not, I mean, it's only a year old, but there's about 22 clients already within this year, including some enormous artists that are signed to it. Um, and Nick Judd, who is the um, CEO of it, has been a business manager for, I think, 15 years now. Okay, so you would say it's more ideal for artists who are more established as opposed to an artist that's just starting out? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with, you know, it, it, there's a, an idea um, down the road, probably next year, where the app is something that artists could pay a small monthly fee for and just have access only to the app. Um, but as it sits right now, again, it's a tool for the business manager to use. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a threshold amount that, um, the artist has to bring in to, to have it make sense. Okay, perfect. Thanks for answering my question. No problem. I think Eddie's talking yeah. some more. We got, oh. we got, we got, we got a couple more coming up. Okay. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. What's going on, brother? Can you Hello? guys hear me? Yeah, we can yep. hear you. We can hear you. All right, cool. First off, I want to say thank you guys for doing this. This is like hidden gems. I feel like this app is a super code. <laughs> but um, so we're not I trying a... to be hidden. We got We got to do a better job of being. Yeah, we actually <laughs> trying to we're actually trying to have a big podcast. <laughs> yeah. Got you. <laughs> so my question is: Have you guys ever seen like a situation or a contract where? Instead of a manager taking a typical percentage, is it possible to have like a management contract where it's sort of eat what you kill or how would someone be able to like word or structure something like that, if that makes sense? For a management deal, you're saying make it eat what you kill? Because the, ma the manager shouldn't be actually getting you all the opportunities. They're right. more of the overseer of these opportunities and making sure it's, it's on brand with you. When we're talking about like a booking agent or something of that nature, that's where a eat what you kill type language should come into play. Um, you also have to be leery of saying the manager only gets 
for the deals that he brought in, then you might have not, then the relationship between you and the manager might get strained to the point where he only wants to focus on things that's going to bring in money for him. I think, I think that's right. I also think that it's, it's more of like a consultant relationship. I think that I've seen that where it's like, all right, if I bring you a deal or I shop you around and get you something that I'm getting paid for it, but that's definitely not a, a true manager. Um, I've also seen managers that are on salary. So, you know, it, it, especially for huge artists, right? If you are, you know, Lady Gaga and you're making a hundred million dollars a year, paying 20% to your managers is, is, is kind of crazy, right? So you, you put the manager on, on a salary um, and that can work at a lower level too. You know, it just sort of depends on how you, how you want to structure it. But yeah, the eat, eat what you kill, like Eddie said, then that, that's just more like a, that's more of a, a consultant than, than an actual manager. Ooh, got you. All right, and you can it. have con- you can have definitely have contracts that that deal with that. You're you're like an independent contractor, and you know it, you can word it you know so that anything that you bring in that ends up in revenue, you get a percentage of. That happens yes. all the time. Yeah. So we're not saying that person shouldn't be a part of your team, but maybe they're not a part of the management structure. Like you said, they're more more so a consultant or agent for you. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right, I think Eddie's vetting another question. Yeah, here. we got uh, uh, invited. Okay, there we go. What's going on, Brandon? What up, Eddie? How you doing, man? Good, brother. Good. How you feeling? I'm well. Um, my question is, I wanted to know, you know, a lot of people's work has changed in the past year in that capacity, what they're getting, what they're making per year. Um, for folks... I just wanted to know, like, any ideas around structures that would be um, most beneficial or, like, effective during this season as, like, we're going into the new year, um, budgets are opening back up, people are, look, are you know, likely going to get more work and, and um, more work coming in. So have y'all seen any structures that are working for people right now as they make this adjustment, adjustment with, with COVID? A lot of my work depends on actually events happening right so something like this can change the dynamics of my of my team what would y'all say is the best way to try to navigate something like that and get out in front of it um leading into this new year Oof. eddie you want to handle that's a great question because it's almost yeah like, man i, I think that every everybody's sort of dealing with the same thing i mean it's like if you look at all of the booking agencies right now and they're letting people go because they aren't prepared, right? Nobody was really prepared for the pandemic. And I mean, you know, I, I heart radio just let go of, I don't know what percentage of their, their staff. So if you still have a job and there still is revenue, I think you have to be sort of grateful for that. How you structure, you know, deals now moving into next year. I, I don't think that the structure really changes. I think everybody sort of has to tighten their belt or had to tighten their belt this year, especially people that are relying on, on touring income. Um, you know, there are other, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know a way to, to structure things without just getting paid less if that, cause there's just not as much money to go around when, when you're dependent on a, a touring act, if you're a DJ and that's how you make your, your living and you can't DJ, yeah, you can still go on, you know, you can go on Twitch or you can go on Instagram and, and, and get donations, that kind of stuff. But it's not, you know, it's usually not going to be anywhere near what you make, you know, from a full, full schedule. 
Um, so yeah, I don't, I, yeah, unfortunately I don't have like a great, a great solution to that one. Yeah. I really wasn't looking at new structures, just more or less new revenue streams that might be out there for artists. Once touring dried up, then it was like, okay, how can we pivot and find other revenue sources for the artists as opposed to just changing the structure of how they operate. Um, but like Josh said, when it came to cutting down some of the fat, removing some of the employees that weren't necessary, those things happen, but it's more or less, how can we pivot and find new ways? We starting to see, we, we, jostled around with live streaming for a while. And I think now we're getting to a point where artists can effectively put on these live streaming shows. So we're going to see a lot more of those from that. What type of revenue streams can we grab from live streaming that we lost from touring? So it's just, it's, it's more or less on the creative because you are the ones that come up with the bright ideas. We're just here to make sure it's sound and structured properly. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll put my manager hat on for a minute. I think that um, we, I've, I've got some clients that, switched to a live stream on Twitch and made it more, it was, it started out as a, as a music group and they were going to um, release their music via Twitch and then the pandemic hit. And now they have a live show every night of the week on Twitch and they're making more money from that than they were from, from music. So they were ahead of the game, you know, and they weren't, they weren't aware that they were making a pandemic proof business. Um, but, but now they're, you know, they're working on that more than they are on, on music. So people have had to, just sort of pivot and find, you know, other, other ways to, to make money. I have a, a, another group that now all of the emphasis is on their merch store and making it more like a, a lot, you know, a lifestyle brand rather than just touring merch because nobody's buying touring merch. So it's, you know, just making adjustments. Man, that's, thank you. That's, um, that's great insight. Um, it's, you know, as far as like pivoting and figuring it out and I kind of found myself just naturally finding other revenue streams other ways um but it, one of the other things i heard in that what from your, your responses is just how important it is to like work with people who truly believe in you you know because um, for sure if they don't you know like the whole conversation around like yo we might have to tighten our belt might be too much for them yep no, no that's true indeed you really got to have it's, it's important to have more allies than, than employees definitely you need you need people that are going to have your back and support you because when times get tough like this, you got to know that they're actually riding for you and not riding for the check. All right, thank you, uh, Miss Taylor. You are our last question. How what do you got for us? Morning, Eddie, Josh, and John. Thank you for this very informative session. Um, so my sensibilities come in as a writer and somebody who's like recently transitioned into um, film and production. Um, so there are particular words that are within some of my contracts that I sort of look out for, like unlimited or in perpetuity, sorry, um, to ins like uh, as things that I should just be cautioned about and like, am I okay with giving up that IP? So I guess what I'm asking, uh, within the world of like music, um, and I feel like this partly depends on like just what kind of contract or agreement this is, but for folks who may not have access to like independent counsel, are there specific words that musicians should be weary about if they are given a contract um, or like, uh, yeah, if they're given a contract that sort of should raise some red flags? Uh, um, it's, it's, I mean, um, 
Oh, go ahead, Josh. No, I was going to I think there's too many to, to, to list. I mean, I think you already, yeah. you, you already hit a couple of them. Perpetuity is a big red flag, means forever. Um, you know, unlimited rights. I think you, you, you truly need to know it's not just words. It's, it's understanding what rights you're, you're giving up um, and what you're getting in, in exchange for it. Um, so, I mean, best advice is always to talk to somebody that understands that if you don't have access to it, there are, you know, there are resources, um, like we're in Chicago. And so there's a lawyer for the creative arts that, um, that help that they, they pair you with pro bono lawyers that can help you with that. Um, you know, there are online materials, there are places like this podcast where you can get some information, but I think like the, the best bet is just you know, is to do some research and try to find, find someone that, that can, can help you decipher it. It's too important to just, you know, Google it, I guess. True indeed. And one thing I will add though, when we're looking at contracts, if there are capitalized words in that agreement, that means there is a unique definition for that word within the agreement. So if you see a word like delivery capitalized, we're not just talking about put in the mailbox and that was delivered. There's going to be a definition of what satisfies delivery in that agreement. So that's one thing you can look out for is if, if you're seeing capitalized words and it's not the beginning of a sentence, that means that word has a separate definition within the agreement. So you should use you should search for that agreement to find out what that definition really is. Um, and then also just asking yourself a couple questions. How long am I signing this? What am I giving away? Uh, Little things like that will have you starting to dive deeper into the agreement because when you say, how long am I in this? Now you're looking at the term. Now you're looking at the territory. You're saying, what am I giving away? Now you're looking at the rights. How much am I getting back? Now you're looking at your percentages, things of that nature. So asking yourself those questions before you reach out to legal representation may help you get an understanding of what that agreement is. But first and foremost, with that definition thing, if you see those capitalized words, understand that there's a separate definition for that word inside the agreement. True. Thanks so much. That was helpful. Not a problem. Uh, so that's all our questions for today. This is actually our first time doing this on Clubhouse. Uh, Josh, how you feel? I think we we should do this more often on Clubhouse. It I mean, worked, worked yeah, well. I'm, I'm just. I think it's probably the most people that have ever heard us. <laughs> <laughs> so I, think, I, I think so. I mean, I think uh, people should look for the old episodes. We're on Spotify and Apple Absolutely. and everywhere you can okay. find. Yeah. um podcasts and um i don't know if you went over the handles that we have for lawyer for musicians or or not eddie yeah we have the hashtag ask l4m if you want to ask us a question on twitter or instagram we'll search the hashtag ask l4m l the number four m and then we're also on ig lawyers for musicians yep so i want to thank you guys for tuning in hanging out with us uh be on the lookout for more of these sessions uh, shout out to Don for making sure we sound sonically amazing. Um, shout out to Josh for being here today with us. And shout out to all of y'all. So until next time, we are the Lords for Musicians. This is our podcast. And I uh, hope you guys have a great day. Later. Peace.